have a Bible with you that you can turn in or click on and turn to Galatians chapter 3, sorry, Colossians chapter 3. Hopefully that's my only goof in the whole message, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we're doing a series called Following Spiritual Priorities. We began last week looking at that series, uh, following the wise men and what we could learn from the wise men, and we're going to be for a couple of months looking at following spiritual priorities. And today we're going to be focusing your attention on the things of God. That's what we're going to focus on, focusing your attention on the things of God. So what are the things of God? Love, joy, peace, truth, hope, redemption, somebody else. Love, we the promise of heaven, mercy, did you say his word? Yeah, when, when we are focusing on the things of God, we're not focusing on cars and who has the coolest truck and the biggest tires. And, you know, you see some trucks in town and they're monster tires jacked way up. And, you know, those guys don't take them anywhere off-road. Um, they're pristine, chrome glowing everywhere. So I drive a minivan. I take it off-road. No. That would really be scary. But, see, we want to focus on the things of God. We want to focus our attention on the things of God. So we need to ask ourselves, what are the things of God? Because in the Bible, there's a clear distinction between the things of God and the things of this earth. And so we need to remember that in our daily planning, our daily thinking. And so we're in Colossians in chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple other verses this morning and... Uh, but for right now, we're in Colossians chapter 3, and it says in verse number 1, If then you were raised with Christ. Now pause right there. How many of you already feel like you're in heaven? Yeah, we don't feel like that yet. You know why we don't feel like that yet? Because we're not there yet. Okay, but, but God has already raised us up. In fact, he has already raised you up from who you used to be to who you are in Christ. And for some of us, that's a big difference, who you used to be and who you are in Christ. But see, God has already established a place in heaven. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I have a place reserved in heaven for you. So God already has your space reserved in heaven. And you already belong in heaven. In Ephesians 2, when he's talking about how he saved us, and he raised us up in heavenly places, we already belong with God in heaven. So God has already spiritually raised us to that place, and we're supposed to live differently than the people who have not been raised to that place. Do you know they do a lot of surveys? of high school students, college-age students. They did a survey of people from age 15 to 25, which covers mostly uh, 
the last few years of high school and all of college and maybe a year or two after college uh, covers that, that age group, 15 to 25. And they ask them in their value system, their moral values like sexual behavior, believers and non-believers, there was no distinction. Their ethical behaviors like cheating on the job or lying on test, there was no distinction. The survey had plus or minus 3%, right? Christians did 1.5% better than non-Christians. So it's a a statistical non-event. Got it? Statistically, believers were acting just like non-believers in ages 15 to 25. Now, right, we're, we're hoping they did that survey in New Jersey or something, right? Not where we live. I don't know whether people were surveyed in Arizona, but I do know this. There's a lot of believers who act like non-believers, who have a similar value system. God said it's not supposed to be that way. Because you have already been raised up with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Where is Christ? Right. But where? In heaven, with the Father. And so we're supposed to seek those things. Now, have you ever heard that proverb, you know, if you chase two rabbits, you catch neither, right? Chase two birds, you catch neither. You, you can only chase one thing. In fact, uh, when Jesus was preaching a sermon on the mount, he said, you've got to choose whether you're going to follow me or money. You can't have it both ways. And yet there's a lot of believers who want it both ways. And, hey, if you're here today and you have lots of money and God has blessed you, praise the Lord for that. Don't feel guilty about that, but use it wisely for the work of the Lord. But some people chase after money, and that's a danger. If you've invested wisely and God has blessed, that's great. But if you're chasing after it, that's a a danger Paul warns about in his letter to Timothy. So seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. So what does it mean to seek? Now, if, if you have something that's missing, say one of your kids, and, and they're missing, well, depending on the kid, right? You're going to look for them. <laughs> Hopefully any of your kids. You're going to look for them. And if you don't find them in the house, you're going to go out in the backyard. You don't find them in the backyard, you're going to go in the front yard. You don't find them there, you're going to look through the garage. You're going to call the neighbors. You're going to call 911. If you can't find them after talking to a couple neighbors, why? Because you need to find them. You're going to seek. And you need that same intensity you would seek for a lost child or grandchild. You need to seek after God. There needs to be a passion and a zeal. Seek after the things above. And then he says in verse 2, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We'll come back to that in just a moment. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember when you were baptized? 
When you're baptized, you, you stand in the baptistry, like sideways maybe, and you go down under the water. That's a symbol of two things. It's a symbol of Christ dying for you and being buried. And then you go under the water and you come up out of the water and that's a, a, a symbol of Christ's resurrection, but it's also a symbol of you dying to the old person you could have been and being raised to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. So it's a picture of your old life is supposed to die. Now, sometimes, if you've really messed up your life when you come to Christ, it takes a while for the old person to die. I've known people that took three or four or five years for them to get over an addiction or something they had before they got saved because it has a hold on you. You can get over it because you are now in Christ. So you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our life is wrapped up in Christ. So therefore you need to set your mind to direct your attention and your thoughts on things above on heavenly things, not on things on the earth. Your life is in Christ. So this morning we're going to look at setting your affection. And I want you to get a couple of images in your head, okay? I'll talk about the second one later. But the first one is a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? What's the purpose of a thermostat? Yeah, it it controls the heat or the cool this time of year. Even in Arizona, we run a little bit of heat. And uh, in other parts of the world, they're running a lot of heat. That thermostat doesn't do anything. The only thing a thermostat can do is tell the heater what to do. In fact, if the thermostat and heater are not connected then you can be turning the heater up to 110 and it's still 45 degrees inside your house. And you got to make that connection. So God wants you to adjust your thermostat to Him. Turn your mind to Him. Heat up your attention in Him. Focus on Him. Seek, set your attention, set your mind On things above, not on things on the earth. Now, if you make notes in your bulletin, there's there's two categories. One is three questions and one is three uh, projects that you can do. Uh, And so the first question is, what catches your attention? What catches your attention? Now, I want you to turn, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be here for a minute. We're going to go to another passage, and then we're going to come back here to Matthew 6. Okay? What catches your attention? In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse number 19, and we'll read down through verse 21. In verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 
So there's nothing on earth that you can protect enough to stop a determined enough thief or group of thieves. Uh, We have had determined thieves break into impenetrable fortresses because nothing is impenetrable. Nothing's unbreak intoable on earth. But see, heaven, you can't get into heaven. The only way into heaven, the only way to see the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father but by me. Nobody's going to accidentally stumble into heaven. Nobody's going to intentionally break their way into heaven. So everything on earth is losable. Everything. And everything in heaven is eternal. So set your affections up there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want you to really look at verse 21. I want you to read it with me. Okay, ready? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what that teaches? Your heart chases treasure. But God has put you in charge of the thermostat of your heart. And you can adjust it to whatever treasure you choose. I know there's people saying, well, I didn't want to do it, but, but I had no choice. It just took over. Some of you remember the old comedian Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. No, you made a choice. Satan cannot influence you. He gave everything he had to influence Jesus Christ. And Jesus repelled him with the word of God. And so can you. You are responsible for your own heart. Your heart chases treasure. But Jesus said, you're responsible for directing your heart toward eternal treasure. Okay, that sounds like a big assignment, doesn't it? You have to do this. Uncle Sam wants you. God wants you to do this. But guess what? Here's the good news. You can do this. You can do this. You might never be able to slam dunk a basketball. Some of you don't even know what that means. But, but you can do this. You might never be offered a contract that will pay you $5 million for one year of playing a game. That's okay. But you can do this. You might not be able to memorize books of the Bible like some of my friends have been able to do. But but you can do this. God has assigned you the, uh, the job of directing your heart. What catches your attention? Treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? All right, here's a mini quiz. Two questions. Mini quiz to help you measure your treasure. If you see a really nice car or a really nice house, 
Do you appreciate it? Or do you long for it? That's a measure of your heart. Do you appreciate it? Wow, that's beautiful. Or do you long for it? I gotta have that. Guess what? There's always room to move up in the housing market. They have houses for sale right now on planet Earth for $50 million. You can always move up. If you think a bigger, better house is going to satisfy, it never will. And that brand new car you bought, you drive off the lot, it's now a used car. If you get in an accident two miles from the dealer and your car is totaled, it's worth less than it was when you drove it off the lot. Here's the second question. When you think of your life on earth ending, does it put a smile on your face? There's a story told of an old guy who was dying and his son came in to visit with him and his son son said, Dad, how do you feel? And his dad said, like a kid on Christmas. He was going to be with the Lord. So those are just two little questions. We could ask a whole bunch more, but we won't. So what catches your attention? The second big question is, what holds your attention? What holds your attention? You know, even people who are ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder, even people who have that, they also have a function called hyperfocus. So they're either have trouble focusing or they're hyperfocused. What holds your attention? What keeps you there? Okay, and, and I want you to mark your spot in Matthew 6. I said we'd come back there, and I want you please to turn over to uh, 1 John 2. 1 John 2. <clears throat> what holds your attention? You must hold the things of earth loosely. Hold them Loosely. Okay, it's, it's fine to have a nice car, but you have to understand it might get totaled. And you might do nothing wrong. And even if it doesn't get totaled, it's going to wear out faster than you do. Probably. <laughs> so what holds your attention? What are you going to hang on to? And in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15... John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you catch that? If anyone love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, it doesn't mean you're out of the Father's love. You love the world, you're out of the Father's love. God's love is infinite. And once you're his child, you're his child forever. But what it means is you can't love God and the world at the same time. Your attention is going to be this way or that way. It can't be both ways at the same time. Lizards can. People can't. So then in verse 16, 
all that is in the world. Here's the focus of the world. The lust of the flesh. We see a lot of that in our world, don't we? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So I, I love traveling. I love road trips. I like seeing things, going places, uh, especially national parks and, and uh, seeing the beauty of God's creation. Uh, when, when our kids were little, every other year, for a while, when we could, we'd buy a National Parks Pass, and we'd go hit a few more and, and go do that. For our, our 35th wedding anniversary, Kathy and I did a road trip through a bunch of national parks and national monuments and state parks and had a great time. It was a lot of fun. For us, that was more fun than Disneyland. A lot more fun, actually. Uh, but, but what holds your attention? Things down here or things up there? You say, well, I'm a student. I, I've got to study. It's got to have my attention. Yeah. If it has 100%, you're in trouble. I own my own business. It's got to have your attention. If it gets 100%, you're out of balance. Your heart needs to long for heaven. And honestly, honestly, when we get to heaven... Do you think God's going to be impressed if you had a 4.0 or a 4.5? When you get to heaven, God's going to be impressed what you did with his son and how you served and ministered with him. I know some parents, they really want their kids to be little league stars or something like that. You know, it's okay if your kids want to play in a little league, but what you should want them to be is not necessarily the best player on the team, but the kindest player on the team. It doesn't mean they don't want to win. They just don't want to hurt somebody in the process of it. Set your mind, your attention on things above, not on things on the earth. Dr. Jack Graham wrote, An animal only lives for three things. Self-preservation, self-propagation, and self-gratification. That's how a lot of people live, he said. Even some who claim to be followers of Christ. Their mouths may speak of heaven, but their minds and hearts are set on the things of the world. What holds your attention? If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in your Okay, the third big question is, where does your attention drift? Where does your attention drift? You know, we can learn something from this picture, ladies. You always have to have your eyeliner on perfectly before you lay down in the leaves. I don't get it, but this was the best picture I could come up with, somebody looking kind of dreamy who was dressed modestly. And so her mind's just drifting. She's maybe looking up at the clouds and seeing what's going on up there. Where does your attention drift? You say, well, I'm not responsible for that. Well, God and scientists both say otherwise. See, uh, more than 1,500 years ago, uh, 
an early church leader, wrote, No one longs for eternal, incorruptible, and immortal life unless he be wearied of this temporal, corruptible, mortal life. No one longs for eternal, incorruptible, immortal life unless they're wearied of this temporal, corruptible, and mortal life. Honestly, be honest here. After you watch some horrific thing on the news, don't you pray the prayer of John, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer recorded in Scripture by a human to God. Even so, come. Oh, man. This world's a mess, and, and it's a mess because of the people and what they do to each other and to this world. Now, your brain is filled with neurotransmitters, and they send small electric currents down synapses across nerve cells. And that's why if you get a shock, it can kind of change your brain um, because it shifts the electric wiring. But the more you think about something, the more it builds up that synaptic connection and the easier your brain makes the connection. Uh, Have you ever watched somebody weave a rope? I'm the only one. It's really cool watching somebody weave a rope. And when they're weaving that rope, they take little strands and they weave those together usually to make a little one. And then if it's got to be a really strong rope, they then take that, those three or four strands and they weave them together into a bigger, better, stronger rope. And the more you weave in there, the stronger the rope gets. And your synapses get stronger the more you use them. It, it makes a groove, and it, it goes that way. If you've ever been tubing, anybody ever been tubing uh, in snow, snow tubing? You get up the mountain, and the first time down, you know, it's okay. It's nice, but you're, you're going through fresh powder. The second time, it's getting a little better. And the third or fourth time, it's getting great. You're flying down that mountain. Well, Okay, if you like that kind of thing, it's great. And you're zooming down that mountain. Why? Because you've worn the groove. And now the snow's been hardened. It's packed. There's a little ice on it. And and you're flying. Your brain's like that. The first time you have to think about something, you really got to think. You've got to think A plus B equals C. You know, and now you've done that enough and your brain just going, everything. It's just so fast. It, there's no sense of process. It's just done. And, and it's flying because you're building those synapses. And so your brain gets used to going that way. And you know the weird thing is, when you try and think differently, your brain fights you. Because it's used to doing it the other way. Your brain is the originator of if it ain't, don't, ain't broke, don't fix it, right? It just wants to keep going that way. And so you're building up these synaptic connections and your brain's making that connection easier and easier and easier and easier every time you think it. And, and so you can get stuck or feel like you're stuck. But guess what? There's something else about your brain you need to know. You have neuroplasticity. 
and you're all thinking, praise the Lord. <laughs> Listen, this is really good. This is a gift from God, the designer of your brain. God built in neuroplasticity. That means you, can ne- you never get to the place where your brain can't learn. See, according to God and science, old dog can learn new tricks. You can learn new things, and you can rewire your brain. So that guys who used to be obsessed with pornography can become obsessed with the Word of God, and they build so many new synapses, the old ones that wanted to send them over to pornography, they're not even functioning anymore. That's a cul-de-sac. It's not a through street anymore. It's been closed off. And your brain is rewired around it. Did you know your brain can do that? Neuroplasticity. You can grow. Now, when I was a kid, they used to tell you that you were stuck. Your, your brain, your personality was to develop when you turned five. I am here as a witness. Thank God that's not true. And my siblings would would agree. We can change. You can grow. And maybe you're in your 60s and you felt stuck for 20 years. You can work around what your brain has learned and teach it something new. So you see on the cover of your bulletin, if you have one, on the cover of your bulletin is a verse. Okay? Okay. And I want us to read this verse together. Ready? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of your mind. Science and God agree. You can change the way your brain thinks. And you can learn new things at any age. Admittedly, it's easier when you're younger. But it's still possible, no matter how old you are. You can change what you think about and literally rewire the mental connections in your brain. You can create new triggers and new connections. You can renew your mind synapse by synapse, building new and more spiritual connections. Setting your mind on things above. You can do it. So those are the three big questions. We're trying to focus our attention on the things of God. Those are the big three questions. What catches your attention? What holds your attention? Where does your attention drift? As you rewire your brain, your attention can drift to the things of God more than it did before because you're growing and maturing and renewing your mind in Christ. Right? Now, here's three practices that can help in that process. Right? There's more. There's lots more. But we're just going to look at three this morning. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6. Okay. All right, the first question or the first practice, rather, is begin your day with the Lord. Develop a morning ritual that includes devotions. 
Now, many of you know, before I became a pastor, I was a Marine, and then I was a business manager. And when I became an executive in our corporation, uh, I was really focused on helping the company, and and I was doing a good job. And I, I was moral, and I was ethical, and I was Christian in my behavior, but I wasn't really Christian in my heart. And I heard a message preached. A, a guy was preaching, and, and he said, some of you guys who are in business, you wake up and you will read the Wall Street Journal before you'll look at the Word of God. And I looked over at Kathy and thought, she ratted me out. <laughs> and she was innocent. It was the Holy Spirit bringing that conviction. I was focused on business, being a Christian, uh, having biblical values in most areas. But when I started changing my morning ritual to include God's Word and to put it first, it, it started rewiring my brain to think differently. See, look in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things he's talking about are your food, your clothing, your shelter. All those things will be added to you when you seek God first. Now, I know that verse speaks of first priority, not necessarily first thing in the morning. In fact, I have a friend, he said he cannot read his Bible first thing in the morning. His brain's not functioning well enough to focus on God. So his real devotional time comes later in the day when he can really focus his attention because first thing in the morning, he's too fuzzy-headed to get going. I know some Christians, they think, I can't even look at my Bible till after I've had my coffee. Well, it's great that coffee is a gift that God gave us uh, in, in his creation. But um, if you wake up in the morning and feel like you need your coffee, then maybe you ought to read what Paul said. I will not be brought under the power of any. And, and it's okay to have coffee. What you need is Christ. Okay? And so in the morning, when, what you think about in the morning sets your tone for the whole day. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and obeyed the Lord. Jacob rose up early and made an offering to the Lord. Moses rose up early and made an offering to the Lord as well. Joshua rose up early and directed people to obey and trust the Lord. Samuel rose up early and worshipped the Lord. David rose up early and wrote songs of praise to the Lord. Hezekiah rose up early and led the nation of Judah in worship. See, it's, it's good to begin your day with the Lord. And I say develop a morning ritual. And some people are really scornful of rituals. They think all rituals are bad, right? God, and, and they go even quote scripture on that because in the nation of Israel and Judah, they were doing ritualistic observance of spiritual things. But, but see, good rituals are good. Bad rituals are bad. Empty rituals are bad. And so when you begin with the Lord and, and develop a morning ritual that includes devotion to the Lord, then that's a good thing. 
Because God longs for you to love Him. He wants your heart. So when you begin your day for the Lord, your heart chasing after the Lord, that, that's a good thing. And, and some rituals are really beneficial, like coming to church. You know what I do every Sunday? Unless I'm deathly ill or injured and can't make it, I'm in church. You know what I do on Sunday when I'm on vacation? I'm in church. Got another pastor who's here on vacation. It's the highlight of his year to come and hear me preach. (laughs) He's out here to see family, but we get the benefit. And, And you develop a morning ritual. You do things that are rituals every day. You get up in the morning. You get dressed before you leave your house. That's a ritual. You brush your teeth. That's a ritual. You, you do get your wallet before you start driving your car. That's a ritual. There, make your morning ritual something that includes the Lord. So you can kind of map out what you're going to do in the morning. In the morning, when I get up, I'm going to go for a walk while I listen to God's Word in, in audio Bible. Or I, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do these things. And, and so if your plan is you're going to read your Bible in the morning, Put your Bible out where it will be where you can read it in the morning. You can set it right under a lamp somewhere. Get up in the morning, turn on the lamp, there's your Bible. Some of you have Bible on Kindle or Bible on your phone. You can just turn it on. You don't even have to get out of bed. Boom, there it is. Don't have to turn the light on. It lights for itself. But make a ritual, a routine, a habit, a practice, a discipline of your life to begin your day with the Lord. If you begin your day with the Lord, the rest of the day is easier. Why? Your first synaptic firings of the day are focused on God. And your brain remembers that for the rest of the day. The second practice is to use a key verse or a key word or a key image to direct your attention to the things of God. Okay? A key verse, a key word, or a key image to direct your attention to the things of God. So, um, this is going to look silly to you guys. How many of you are on the mailing list, the email mailing list? If you're not on that and want to be on that, you need to get your email to Megan. And and we send out every week, or almost every week, we didn't Christmas time, uh, send out uh, an email that has a prayer list attached to it. And then she just sent one out this week, and it had 20 things in 2020 to pray for about our church, to pray. And I liked it, and so I took that, and I added to it uh, another image to help me think on focusing on being cheerful and smiling, because I I don't see super well. Um, And so often when I'm not seeing well, what do you do when you don't see well? You squint. And so I, I found myself walking in stores, you know, and, and I decided I need to practice smiling more. So I, I can walk in. I can't see anything, but I can walk in and, you know, and, and be smiling. Because I think Christians should be the happiest looking people on the planet. We have Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. So here's what I put on my cell phone first time it turns on. I flip it up, 
There's my image. It has pray for 20 and 20 and all those things to remind me to pray. And it has all those happy faces on their hands. Why? Because hands painted in happy faces turn me on. You know, they, they make me smile. Every time I look at that, I smile. And then I think about and pray for one of the things on that list. So you can do that. That's an image that works for me. You can do what works for you. Maybe a verse will be a verse that you're going to focus on and memorize. And so I encourage you to memorize Philippians 1.6. We're going to be looking at it this afternoon when we meet at 5. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll do it. Guess what? You have work to do. But God helps you. He partners with you. And He makes sure, through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that you know you are His, and and the Holy Spirit will be with you until you go be with Him. You're never going to have a gap. There's never going to be a moment the Holy Spirit is not in your life. And so God's going to complete it. You say, oh, I've really blown it. All right, confession time. How many of you, after you got saved, did something and felt like you'd really blown it? Guess what? God's still working. He's still working. He's still helping you. He's still growing you. You're still getting closer to Him. Someday you'll be in His presence, but you can keep growing. So you can use a key word or a key verse or a key image to help you focus on the things of God, to direct your attention in the right way. So every time I go to my phone and I punch it and I turn it on, I'm thinking about I've got to make a call, I've got to make a text, I've got to check my email, something's going on there. Even I've got to answer the phone. The first thing I see is this happy image and the prayers. And I've got to be honest with you. A couple of times I've gone to make a call or send somebody a text. I turn my phone on, that comes up. I start praying for one of those things on that list, and I forgot who I was going to call. And you know what? I don't think that disappoints the Lord at all. So here's the third practice that can help. End your day with the Lord in prayer. End your day with the Lord in prayer. So last night, I went and I sat in a different spot in my house. And I got over... At the cedar chest by the front window. I, I never sit there, or I can't remember the last time I sat there. And so I sat there, and I looked around the house, and I started praising God for some of the things that He's allowed us to have in our house and for this home, and that we can use this home to, to minister to other people as well. And, and I started praying for the different people who've been in that front room, some of Kathy's piano students and other people. And, and I just started praying and talking with the Lord, and, and I really enjoyed it. And, and it was different just because I sat in a different place. And so I went to bed really happy with these thoughts and prayers and people in my head. 
So end your day with the Lord in prayer. David said in Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Daniel had the habit of how many meaningful times a day of prayer? Three. Evening and morning and noon. Meaningful prayer. There were maybe other times when he prayed to God, you know, you know, help me drive my chariot safely or something like that. You know, he, he had other moments when he would pray to God at, at, in the dialogue that you have through the day. But specific meaningful moments. Nehemiah talked of praying day and night. Jesus himself spent all night in prayer. Ending your day in prayer refocuses your thoughts your brain, and encourages you to review your day from a spiritual perspective. See, our brains do something that the news has figured out. The news media. We remember bad things better than good things. We focus on bad things more easily than good things. And I don't know whether that's the natural wiring or your brain or it's the cultural training that we have endured. Like you go to school and your teacher marks your paper. What do they mark? What's wrong? Yeah. And, and so you maybe got a, it's 100 questions and you get a paper and it says negative two. You know, why don't they circle and highlight all the things you got right? We, we have this obsession almost in our culture. And the news media, now the news has started, often they have this last feel-good story before they end. So you have one feel-good story before they end. But you've had 20 horrible, terrible, awful stories. And, and they exaggerate. I, I know that's a shock to some of you. But news media exaggerate things, and, and they get us stirred up. And so by ending the day in prayer to God, You know what it helps you do? It helps you remember what's really important. And so you don't go to bed depressed about another day on earth. Bummer. You go to bed thinking, another day with the Lord. And tomorrow, wherever I wake up, in the hospital, in heaven, or here, I'm okay because I'm with the Lord. And when I'm with the Lord, He's with me. So follow spiritual priorities by focusing your attention on the things of God. You're in control of your attention setting. You have the remote control. And you can control what goes on up here a lot more than you think you can. And you can focus your attention on the things of God. And it's a rich blessing in your life when you do.